As we begin to focus our attention on God's Word, let's first ask His blessing in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You've brought us here today, that we can listen to You speak to us through Your Word of truth. Help us to listen attentively to what You have to say, believing Your promise that You are here with us. Lord, speak to our hearts, and through Your Word, change us. May the words that I speak and also the things that go through our hearts and minds, may this all be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are continuing our series, Less Me, talking about pride, which is something that we all struggle with, probably more than we even recognize or, or understand. That every day, every day we're, we're fighting with this elevation of self, this focus on self, this self-interest always thinking, what's in it for me in this relationship, in this job, in this task, in this interaction with other people? It's all about me. And the secret to less me, to, to, to pride, is not to focus on humility. To focus on humility uh, only brings more attention to me, which is the problem in the first place. Instead, we're going to be focusing on Jesus. We're going to do that again today as we focus on Jesus, especially today, focusing on the humble crew that Jesus called to be his disciples. Who was Jesus' humble crew? Um, So, we know that the people we surround ourselves with is important. Um, People we surround ourselves with does affect what other people think about us. It affects how much influence we have. It affects how much success we can have. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by a bunch of turkeys? Uh, Because it does matter who you surround yourself with, there's some truth in that statement, isn't there? Now, imagine that you're Jesus, you're here for a very limited period of time, the time of his public ministry was only about three and a half years, it's the most important thing ever been done in human history, he's rescuing people from their sins, reconciling people to God, restoring that broken relationship, the work is vitally important. And Jesus knows that after three and a half years are up, his disciples are the ones that are going to carry on this word, this mission, to others. That everything would hinge on them once he left. His crew is vitally important. It's important that he picks the right people, that he surrounds himself with the right crew. Which is why it's so fascinating to me to study this with you today, to take a look at who it is that Jesus called to be his disciples. And as we study this, I also want you to ask and think about this important question. Has Jesus or would Jesus invite me to be on his crew? Does he invite you to be on his humble crew? And why? Or why not? Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm pretty sure he probably isn't or hasn't called me to his crew. I'm not so much a church person, I just came today because my girlfriend invited me or my boyfriend did or my parents made me come or or whatever. I'm a person who's filled with all sorts of doubts and questions about Christianity and I'm a skeptic and and I'm just not in a place where I, I don't think Jesus would even want me on his crew. Some of you might be in that position. Some of you might be lifelong Christians, but you're thinking, but, well, I know so many better Christians than me. And I do still have so many questions, even after all these years, questions I don't feel like I've resolved in my own mind. So many times I'm filled with doubt. So many times I don't trust. I don't know. Why would Jesus want me on his humble crew? There also may be some here that are at the other extreme, which I'm going to demonstrate is maybe even worse. (laughs) The other extreme being, well, of course Jesus would want me on his crew. 
Of course I'm invited. I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong Christian. My parents were Christians. I went to Christian schools. I know so much about the Bible. I could rattle off all 66 books of the Bible in order right now and rattle off all 10 commandments. Of course I'm on Jesus' crew. If anybody is, I am. And we're going to see that that's actually a dangerous place to be in as well. So who is invited to Jesus' crew and, and is it you? That's what we want to kind of unpack as we go through the story today. But first we want to see who were Jesus' first followers? Who did Jesus call? Why would he call them? We're going to kind of unpack all of that and then through that process we'll see, well, what about you? Okay, so for us to answer these questions, we're going to take a look at the calling of the first disciples as recorded in Matthew's gospel. We're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18. And we're, we're picking this up right after what we heard last week, where it said that Jesus went about his ministry in the area of Galilee. Remember that humble, humble place of all the places Jesus could have chosen to have his ministry. He didn't pick Rome, which would have made the most sense because it had the most influence, the most people. The easiest spread of the gospel would have been from there, but that's not what he picked. Okay, well, because he was a Jewish person. So certainly he would then pick Jerusalem if he's going to be a Jewish person because that was the, the cultural, religious, political center of Israel. And although he made trips to Jerusalem, that was not the center of his activity. And you'll remember from last week, it was actually Galilee. This place of no influence, nothing, no huge cities, nothing that important going on there. People living in darkness, people of mixed culture, mixed race, and mixed religion who didn't know God, didn't know the way to God, and that's where Jesus chose to carry out his public ministry. And we learned about the humility of Jesus, that that's where he would go to that place of darkness. So right then it says, Jesus began to preach and to teach, repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is near. Right after he starts that public preaching is when we have this story about Jesus calling his first disciples. So let's take a look. Matthew 4, starting at verse 18, says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... Hold on, pause. Jesus, wait, wait, you're about to call your first disciples, right? Yes. Why are you walking along the Sea of Galilee of all places? Now, don't think in your mind, oh, Sea of Galilee, resort, lake, probably a lot of lake houses along the lake there. No, this was, think industrial and shipping and and, uh, fishing and stinking fish smell and smelly men throwing nets into the lake. It was purely industrial. You're thinking, Jesus, are you lost? Because this isn't the place to look. Go down to Jerusalem. That would be a good place. Find the politically influential. Find the religious people. Uh, Talk to the high priest. Maybe you you could convert the royal family. Come on, you've only got three and a half years. Go find the most important people in society. But no, Jesus is where Jesus knows he needs to be. He's along the Sea of Galilee. And, And who does he find there? He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. So there Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, spots his first two converts, and he knows it's them right away because there they were kneeling in the sand on the beach, as was their custom, three times a day, facing toward Jerusalem, saying their prayers as devout Jewish people do. And, oh wait, it didn't say that. What does it say? They're casting their nets. They're fishing. They were doing what they do every day. They were about their work day. 
And in the middle of that, Jesus stops them. And he says, come, follow me. And they drop everything. And they follow Jesus. Interesting. Okay, let's keep reading. There's a couple more people Jesus has in mind. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Okay, so Jesus wasn't done. Walks a little further down the, 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 sea, the seashore, and he sees a couple of men in a boat, probably right very close to shore, preparing some nets, getting ready for a fishing trip. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he says, you two, come on, you follow me too. They leave their father behind, and if we look in Mark's gospel, by the way, we also find the detail that they also leave the hired men with their father. So we get a little bit of a different picture. It's almost the same as Peter and Andrew, but a slightly different picture that this is probably a, a small business for the family because they have hired people. And the father is involved and the two sons and some hired men. Okay, so maybe a slightly different social class here. Uh, a little bit better off than what Peter and Andrew were. But they also, they drop everything and they follow Jesus. Okay, starting to form a mental picture of who is a part of Jesus' crew. Now I want to jump ahead a few chapters into Matthew chapter 9 where Matthew records for us his own conversion, or his, not conversion, his own invitation from Jesus to follow Jesus. And it's a fascinating story that he tells here in very short, uh, with very little details. He just gives the account of how he became a follower of Jesus also. So in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, and, and don't think from the Sea of Galilee, this is, remember, several chapters later now, what had just happened was Jesus was preaching in somebody's house. It was jam-packed full of people. Some friends brought their friend on a stretcher because he was paralyzed, couldn't get into Jesus, go up on the roof, dig a hole in it, lower him down through the roof in front of Jesus, who forgives his sins, heals him and makes him whole. He's able to walk again. And from there, as they went on from there, Jesus goes to see Matthew. So we have to imagine there's a crowd of people. This wasn't Jesus by himself or just Jesus with the four disciples. This was probably a fairly large crowd of people. Okay, so here they are. They're they're walking toward Matthew. Um, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Which means Matthew, also called Levi, was a tax collector. We don't love tax collectors today. We don't love having to pay our taxes to our government. At least I don't. Maybe maybe you're more uh, righteous than me. Um, We don't love tax collectors today, but back in those days, they absolutely hated them. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low on the social ladder. Uh, There were, on the very bottom, prostitutes, and below them, the tax collectors, dead last. Well, why were tax collectors so hated? Not only were they taking your money to give it to, to the government, it was the Roman government that they gave your money to. The foreign oppressors, those Gentile heathens, were getting your money. And your fellow Jew was in cahoots with them and was gathering the money on their behalf. And if that wasn't bad enough, the tax collectors also would gather extra. There was nothing you could do about it because the Roman soldiers were standing right behind them. They would gather extra money, put it in their own pockets, and they would get rich. And they were the wealthiest people in the society of that time because they were also crooks. They gave money to the government. They, they were traitors and they were crooks. People hated 
tax collectors. Jesus is making a beeline for Matthew, the tax collector. Now, imagine James and John and Peter and Andrew. Maybe, maybe Peter's talking to John as they're making a beeline for, for that tax collector at his tax collector booth. And Peter leans over to John and says, oh, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to let him have it. He's going to tell him what a sinner he is and, and lay into him and make him feel horrible. And he so deserves it. Let him have it, Jesus. And there they are. They walk up and, and he, he, he confronts Matthew and he says, Matthew. Follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. Did Peter look at John funny? Like, what just happened here? Isn't that how he invited us? Yeah. And now he's, he's one of us? Doesn't Jesus know what a mistake he's making here? The PR on this is going to be horrible. Who's going to follow Jesus now? We've got a tax collector in our midst. This is horrible. This is a disaster. What is Jesus thinking? But it gets worse. Look what happens next. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, apparently straight from the tax collector's booth, they go straight to Matthew's house uh, because Matthew invites him over for dinner. And many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And that must have had everybody's head spinning. What is going on here? And why is Jesus hanging out with these people? And the Pharisees thought exactly that. Were they stalking Jesus? It almost seems like it. They wouldn't have been in the house because that would have made them unclean and they would never associate with tax collectors and sinners. So they must have been right outside the house, wait for a disciple to come out. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, so why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with the riffraff? Why is he surrounding himself with such despicable people from our society? He should be above that. He should be better than that. And then look what it says next. On hearing this, Jesus said, so apparently the disciples don't answer. Maybe they didn't know what to say. Uh, Maybe they agreed (laughs) with what the Pharisees were saying. But Jesus answers. Somehow he hears this, maybe steps outside, and, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Pharisees, all about the right sacrifices, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way, while not showing any mercy to anybody. Jesus said, that's not what I'm all about. I'm about mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why I'm here with the sinners, because that's who I came for. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, right? Isn't that who needs a doctor? If you're healthy, you don't typically go to the doctor. And if you are, uh, who needs a lifeguard? Somebody who's drowning, right? Who needs a fireman? Well, if your house is on fire, you, you need a fireman, but otherwise, maybe not so much. Who needed Jesus? It was the people who recognized they were sick with sin. And their relationship with God was broken. And so they needed what Jesus was giving, forgiveness of sin and salvation. And that's why Jesus was choosing that humble crew and why Jesus was hanging around with these specific people. So, why don't we fill in some blanks here? If you want to open up your your bulletin, if you haven't already, there's some blanks on on that right panel there. What is true of Jesus' crew? We've seen the stories now. We have enough information to get some, some pretty basic points here. What is true of Jesus' crew? Number one, they are familiar they're ordinary. They're, they're not the elite. They're not the one percenters. 
They're not the ones that you've never met, that you've only heard about. They're not the movie stars. They're not the political elite. They're not, it's not Herod the Great in his royal household. It's not the high priest in Jerusalem. It's not even the Pharisees. It's the common, everyday people. That's who Jesus called to be his humble crew. He calls fishermen. He calls a tax collector. Um, we don't know a lot about some of the other disciples. There's at least five of them. We don't even know what their profession was or what they did. There were a couple of zealots in the mix. A zealot was a Jewish nationalist who just despised the Romans and was trying to uh, organize uh, rebellion or uh, oppose the, 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 Rom- the Romans in some way. There were a couple of those on his crew as well. But who were they? they? They were just ordinary people. They were familiar people, the kind of people that you meet every day, the kind of person that you are just an ordinary person. Second point we want to make. Uh, They are, this is an important one, flawed. We've learned this already. They were flawed. That was evident with Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor, a crook, and he's called, he's invited by Jesus to join his crew. Okay, so we know he's flawed, but what about the others? They're just fishermen, right? Well, as we go through the Gospels, read through the rest of Matthew's Gospel, time and again you see these are fundamentally flawed people. Did Jesus call them because they were such devout believers? There's no evidence of that. Did Jesus call them because they were just so obedient? They knew their Bible so well, we have no evidence of that. Did Jesus call them because they had no doubts and they always believed there's, that's absolutely false. We know that for, to be true. Seven, uh, five different times throughout Matthew's gospel, we, we hear this phrase, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And it's throughout the gospel, even toward the end. In fact, you would think that by the time Jesus is about to go to the cross, then at least they would, they would understand and be obedient and believe. No. When Jesus is about to be arrested, they all flee. They abandon him. They leave him. No obedience there. When Jesus says, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation, right before he's arrested, they don't. They fall asleep. Okay, well, well, once he rose from the dead, surely now they understand and they believe and they obey. No, that's not true either. Um, Let me just, a couple quotes here. In Matthew 26, it says, um, I'm sorry, Mark 16, it says, later Jesus appeared to the 11, that is the resurrected Jesus, appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. We saw the risen Jesus. Oh, come on. You did not. No, we really did. No, you didn't. Jesus appears to him. Here I am. How could you not have believed? Why didn't you listen to them? Jesus rebukes them at that point even for their lack of faith. Another time, the risen Lord appeared to them, and he said, it said, Jesus stood among them, the disciples, and he said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and they were frightened. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. He's standing in front of them. And they had doubts. These men were fundamentally flawed. They were sinners. Jesus did not pick the most obedient, the most faithful, the best understanding, the smartest He just didn't. He picked men that were flawed. But here's a third characteristic that's really important as well. When Jesus called, what did all of these men do? Number three, they followed. They followed. They dropped everything and they followed Jesus. There was a time and they kept following. 
That's, an, that's You could maybe write that too. They didn't just follow. They kept following. There was a time when Jesus taught something really challenging and downright offensive, and people didn't understand what he was saying. And most people abandoned Jesus at that point. It's an incident recorded in John's gospel. They all left him because of what he was saying. And, and then Jesus turned to his close disciples, the, the inner 12, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, speaking for the rest, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he, he could have added to that, Jesus, you know what? We, we don't fully understand what's happening here or where this is going. Jesus, we sometimes, we're a little bit dense. We don't always get it. We often doubt. We don't always obey you. But Lord, what we do know is this. We don't have anybody else we could follow. We know enough to know that you have the words of eternal life. And so we're going to keep following you. So that was that third characteristic of his disciples. Which brings us now to the the application of this, and that is, what about you? Would Jesus invite you? And the answer is yes. You are invited to his crew too. So if you want to write the word you in there, you are. You are invited as well. Are you familiar? Are you an ordinary person every day? Who would Jesus invite today? Well, I think Jesus would invite that paper mill worker. I think Jesus would invite that nurse at ThetaCare. Come, follow me. The produce person at Walmart, follow me. Small business owner, kind of like James and John, come follow me. The Trump campaign staffer wearing the mega hat, follow me. The Bernie Sanders supporter wearing Feel the Burn t-shirt, you too. I got to be with him. Yep, you two are together. Both of you, follow me. Jesus invites you to be on his crew. Now, that wasn't just his first followers that were common and ordinary. 25 years later, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, it wasn't even a Jewish city, but a a Greek city, a Roman city, he, he writes to them these words in 1 Corinthians. He says, Brothers and sisters, consider what you were when God called you to be Christians. Not many of you were wise from a human point of view, you are not powerful, you are not in powerful positions or in upper social classes, but God chose what the world considers nonsense to put wise people to shame. God chose what the world considers weak to put what is strong to shame. God chose what the world considers ordinary and what it despises, what it considers to be nothing, in order to destroy what it considers to be something. As a result, no one can brag in God's presence. You are partners with Christ Jesus because of God. Jesus has become our wisdom sent from God, our approval, our holiness, our ransom from sin. As Scripture says, whoever brags must brag about what the Lord has done. It's not about us. It's not about who we are. We humbly follow Jesus who gathered a humble crew because he is great And he has done great things. If you feel that you are pretty ordinary and pretty familiar, know that Jesus invites you to his crew. And if you are invited to be on Jesus' crew, there's another absolutely essential characteristic. And this one is so important. I I will even tell you this. If you don't have this one, you are not invited. There are some people who are not. So if you do not have this characteristic, you're not on his crew. And it's simply this. Are you flawed? You have to be. 
Are you a sinner? Because if you're not, you're not invited. You have to be a sinner because Jesus came for the sinners, not the righteous. He's a doctor for the sick, not for the healthy. The truth is everybody is a sinner, but a lot of people don't recognize it. They don't realize it. They don't, realize it. They don't admit it. They don't confess it. But Jesus came only for sinners. And that is who is invited to be on his crew. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, well, I, I don't think I, I know enough yet. I don't understand enough. I'm, I'm not sure I, I have enough confidence. I, my faith is often weak. I often have doubts. I still have a lot of questions about this issue and that issue. And I'm not sure I'm there yet. So I'm not sure if Jesus would invite me. That sounds like you're pretty flawed. And congratulations, that means you're invited. You're invited to follow Jesus. And that's ultimately what Jesus is calling you to do. This is going to sound strange. He doesn't call you first to believe. He doesn't call you to obey first. He just calls you to follow. You see, if you're married, how did you, how did you come to love your spouse and to trust your spouse and to serve your spouse? How did it, how did it come to that point? Didn't you, first of all, follow? Yeah, maybe each other. Didn't you spend time Didn't you talk a lot? Didn't you converse? Didn't you observe each other? Didn't you see how each other would react in certain situations in maybe different seasons of life? And then eventually, over time, love developed. Trust was built. And serving one another started to happen. And you married each other. This is all that Jesus is calling you to do as well. He says, follow me. All that other stuff comes when you follow him. He says, follow me, watch me, observe me, listen to me, listen to what I say. Look at how I treat people. Look at how I talk. Look at how I walk. Uh, Observe me in different situations. Listen to my teaching. And I would suggest to you that as you follow Jesus, you'll come to know him, you'll come to understand him, you'll come to love him, And eventually, you'll want to serve him too. Jesus invites you to follow. I was a pastor uh, in Omaha, Nebraska before I came here. In my last couple years there, I I was working with a couple. I'll I'll call them Greg and Sharon. Uh, Greg and Sharon were not members of our church. They stopped in one day. They said, Pastor, we need to talk. Like, come on in. They came into my office and, and they said, I know you've never met us before. We live up the street. You're the closest church. Um, Sharon said, I'm filing for a divorce this week. And I just thought that before we did that, maybe we should talk to a pastor first. Like, okay. Um, We came to find out that Greg was uh, an alcoholic with multiple DUIs. Had just gotten one recently. Wouldn't stop drinking. Wouldn't stop drinking and driving. Sharon was done. She was not going to put up with this anymore. She was ready to get her divorce. And I worked with, with Greg and Sharon for, for many, many hours uh, counseling. Uh, I, I, I encouraged them, would you just, would you just follow Jesus? I, you don't know where this is going to lead yet, I know. But, but follow Jesus, listen to what he says, observe him, come to church. Would you, would you start coming to church? Oh, and we're starting a, a starting point class uh, for a Bible basics class. Would you join me with that as well? Would you just both walk together and, and let's just see what happens here? and see where this goes. There's lots of counseling. They started coming to church regularly. They came through our starting point class. As they followed Jesus, their hearts changed. As they followed Jesus and got to know his love and his forgiveness, 
It changed their hearts too. Sharon was able to forgive. Greg stopped drinking uh, and, and driving drunk. And Sharon was able to forgive him. And I went back uh, in October for uh, my son's wedding. And Greg and Sharon are still active members there. And Greg now teaches in the Sunday school. And Sharon is, uh, volunteers her time at, uh, as a church secretary. Uh, they're actively involved. Their marriage is stronger than it's ever been in their lives. Because that's what happens when you follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you see who he really is. You see that he is God in human flesh who came here to rescue us. And you follow him to the cross. You see him bleed and die for all of your sins. He restores your relationship to God. And he proves it all through his resurrection on the third day. That's what this season is all about. We call it the season of Lent. Where we follow Jesus and observe him in his final days and see his ultimate sacrifice for our sin and see his love demonstrated beyond dispute and become convinced that that love is for me and because he loves me that much, I love him. And because I love him that much, I love others. And your life changes and you are transformed as you follow Jesus. So wherever you are right now in your faith walk, whether you're not even considering, like you've even taken a step in your faith walk yet, or whether you're far down that path, it's the same for all of us. Would you just follow Jesus? He has invited you to his humble crew. And as you follow him, you will learn exactly who he is and his unimaginably great love for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, This is amazing that you would love even us, that you would take away all of our sin and guilt at the greatest personal cost to yourself imaginable, the death of your own son, Jesus. And so we follow him. We don't claim to have all the answers. We don't claim to have a perfect faith. We still have doubts and concerns and anxiety and fears. But Lord, you have invited. So move our hearts to follow, to watch, to see, to believe, to obey, to rejoice, to have peace, and to receive the eternal life that you have promised. Lord, help us to follow. For your glory's sake, we pray it. Amen.